welcome back to the Philip Deal podcast. I'm Philip, and um, well, I woke up this morning and Armageddon still isn't here. <laughs> well, that's funny if you knew I was born and raised a Jehovah's Witness. If you don't know what that is, those are the people that show up at your house on Saturday morning when you're trying to watch cartoons, trying to tell you about God's kingdom. Yes, I am completely traumatized. I am a traumatized adult. <laughs> I suffer from religious trauma. That's why I decided that I wanted to go down the path of uh, philosophy and studying the world's religions and doing comparative religious studies. And oh, that's how this podcast came to be. And you might notice that I haven't made a podcast in a motherfucking minute. And that's because I haven't really been able to find anybody that was going to go on live with me and chat with me because the whole purpose of me setting up this podcast was to do interviews with people, like this was going to be like an interview podcast, and fuck everybody, fuck all of you, fuck all y'all that I asked to come on and be on this podcast with me, and all of y'all too busy, you got something else better to do, uh, or you don't want to like be uh, interviewed or whatever, fuck all of you people. I decided that I'm going to talk, and I'm going to talk to the people all by myself. That's right, I am sitting here having my, my, my uh, uh, morning vanilla chai soy grande latte enema, just waiting for my bowels to move so that I can <laughs> have my morning shit. That's all, you know what, when you turn 42, when you're a man and you turn 42, there are some things that you wake up in the morning and you look forward to, and that morning shit, oh, you're always looking forward to that because it's like relief. It's just like relief, you know? That's all you can hope for when you're a 42-year-old man is relief from the constant grind so I thought that today's podcast would be me talking about TikTok. Yes, I started this podcast because I got on TikTok, and um, that's when I started meeting people in the, I'm saying in quotations, witch talk community, and in quotations, the spiritual community. And in reality, there's no fucking community. There is no community. Anybody who thinks that there is a community on any social media platform is stupid. If you think that you have joined a community on a social media platform, you've joined a Facebook group, you're following a whole bunch of people on Instagram, uh, you're, you're on TikTok, you got your friends on TikTok, and you guys post videos and you chat back and forth, that's not a community. That's not a, a community is where people actually get out of their goddamn house, get in their car, drive themselves to a location to be able to see other people face to face and hang out and talk to one another face to face and be in community with other people. This concept that we have a an online community, are there any kind of community at all that can be achieved? Um, in like a Facebook, TikTok, Instagram setting, 
or like people talk about here at the YouTube community, that language is just so stupid to me. It makes zero sense at all. At all. Because we live in a time where everybody is just promoting themselves. That's all this is. It's like self-promotion. Who can, who can promote themselves the most? But why? Because it's not even like people are trying to promote themselves to make money. Like people are just, they just, we are a self-promoting culture now. And so when you get online and you get into a group or you meet people online or you come into your social circle or whatever, it's just, it's an illusion. It's all a fantasy. Now, I do want to say I'm not being cynical and I'm not mad. (laughs) I'm not mad. I am not mad. I'm not mad about it. I've met a lot of really, really nice people on Witch Talk. A lot of them. I've got a lot of followers out there. Friends, friends, followers, subscribers, uh, Twitter buddies, whatever you want to call whatever you want to call them. All my friends out there uh, that follow me on TikTok and YouTube and Pornhub and all of the other places that I swing my fat cock around, slap people in the face with. I'm so glad that you came around to listen to this um, podcast. I think today I want to talk about what do I want? I want to talk about sex today. Today I thought I would tell you a story about my life, and I thought today I would tell you guys how I became a male-for-male erotic massage sex worker. I thought it would be really fun to tell you guys about, um, like, the 16 years that I spent uh, being a full-time sex worker, which I'm not anymore because COVID killed that. I I basically stopped um, doing sex work when COVID hit. You know, I went on the self-employed unemployment and uh, had to take a break from Tantra and massage and body work and Reiki and, and all kinds of other shenanigans. COVID really killed my business, but that is okay. It is okay uh, because we're doing other things now. Something I'd like to go ahead and mention is that yes, I offer spiritual consultations and if you want to book a spiritual consultation with me, you can go to my website, philipfield.com, and there's links there that you can book a consultation with me. I'm doing uh, uh, astrological uh, birth charts, so if you want to have your birth chart read, I do that. Um, I'm actually getting ready to get my dance company back together, the Philip Deal Dance Project. You can visit my apothecary. I am a jack of all trades and a master of none, and I am proud of that. I just want you to know there is absolutely nothing wrong with being a jack of all trades and a master of none. I have had a phenomenal life. I have had a really fucking great life, and it's because I've pretty much done whatever I wanted to do, and I I worked on things that were important to me. I worked on things that were important to me. Life, uh, you know, uh, slapped me down. I pulled myself back up, and and I've managed to be able to continue to go in a forwardly direction, 
even in spite of obstacles. And I'm very grateful for my life. I'm very grateful to God. I'm very grateful to the ancestors. I'm very grateful to my spirits, my spirit guides, my guardian, Daimon, my guardian angel. I'm very, very, very happy to be alive. And I'm very, very, very proud of everything I've accomplished in life. Now, whether or not you <laughs> can appreciate my accomplishments or not is not my, not my problem. But today, we're going to talk about the sex work industry. Oh, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. So get ready. Hold on to your ass. Spread your cheeks. Get your coffee. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get my coffee right now. And we're going to talk about everything everything male from male massage and body work and all kinds of kinky filthy dirty things all right everybody well it's just you and me you and me so we can have a private conversation we can have a private chat we can talk about all the things you don't have to be shy. I'm definitely not shy. I am not shy at all. But if you've been following me for a while, you would know that by now. So let me tell you about the first time I started learning about massage therapy, reflexology, Chinese traditional medicine, and the whole nine. When I was a little boy, I think I was about five years old or six years old. No, no, no. I had to be older than that. I had to be like between five and seven years old. My grandmother actually allowed this older couple, who are also Jehovah's Witnesses, <clears throat> excuse me, were also Jehovah's Witnesses to come live at her house. Now, I lived with my mom and my dad, but I spent most of my time at my grandmother's, and my aunt lived with my grandmother and my grandfather. And then an older couple moved in that were, that were family friends. And the reason why they moved in is because he was a traveling overseer. That means that he was somebody who bounced from congregation to con congregation all the time moving every three years, and it was, they were really homeless um, because they were like a type of missionary. I'm not going to go into it. But the point is is that um, he had to stop doing his missionary work, and he was going to die. He had uh, bowel cancer uh, and really, really bad. And so he basically came to my grandmother's house to, to die, and his wife, um, Viola, his name was Jake, and her name was Viola, and she was a root worker. She was somebody who knew root work, Appalachian folk magic. Um, she was, I mean, she was a Jehovah's Witness, but she was a very, very skilled herbalist. Okay, and I'm talking about stuff that was handed down to her through her family line. This was something that she learned through her family line, like most women, folk healers, um, from, I guess you could say, 
the southern parts of Virginia and uh, North Carolina and the northern parts of Georgia and South Carolina, all those people um, that they know this, this kind of uh, traditional healing. She did all kinds of things to try to keep Jake alive. And what we would do, actually, and I didn't realize that this was a form of spiritualism, uh, because if you're a Christian, you don't really you don't really describe these kinds of practices as spiritualism because spiritualism is from the devil. But what we would do is we would we would we would grind herbs, we would make capsules for Jake, we would make him teas, we would make bombs with essential oils. Um, rubs. And when we did these things, when we were putting together these, these holistic treatments, we would pray to God at the same time. Because what Viola believed was that when you pray to God while you work, while you're doing the work, you are inviting the Holy Spirit to come down and guide you to make sure that you use the right medicines and that you empower the medicine with the Holy Spirit. So there's a very, very strong connection between the herbs and the practitioner and the prayer and the direction of Holy Spirit in order to make this kind of spirit medicine, right? So we would um, give him his medicine, and she taught me reflexology on the hands and the feet. So back when I was a kid, you know, I didn't say, oh, I know reflexology. You know, it was basically foot rubs hand and foot rubs and what I would do is I would go and I would rub Jake's feet for him or I'd rub his hands for him so here's this you know six seven year old kid um, who's learning how to massage feet and hands for an elderly man who's dying of bowel cancer at his grandmother's house and also helping a root worker to mix herbs and make traditional medicine while praying and calling on the Holy Spirit I had a very very interesting childhood I'm also Puerto Rican I'm white but um, my dad is very white, and on my mother's side of the family, um, we're Hispanic. And so I, uh, I, I grew up in what, what you would consider to be a lower-middle-class Puerto Rican, uh, light-skinned, white Puerto Rican household. And that was very fascinating. That was very interesting. I was homeschooled, so I never really ran into, I guess you could say, I didn't go to school with other kids, so I didn't experience the same things other kids did growing up. Needless to say, that was the beginning of my career of body work. So I started doing body work from a, for, from a very young age. And then I was a, a dancer. You guys know that when I was about, well, my parents put me into dance when I was about four or five years old, then we had the car accident. Then after the car accident, um, it kind of fucked up my hip. And it took uh, about two years before I went back to dance. But I, I went back to dance full-time when I was about eight years old. And from then on, uh, I, would get, I would massage. I would get massaged uh, by uh, my mom, or I would massage myself or some of the other kids that I knew. We would massage each other's hands or feet or walk on each other's backs or whatever. So I was always around a community of people that were very touchy, and people that had an interest in massage, completely amateur. And then I met my first partner, Josh, the man that I married 
and was with for about six and a half years, six and a half, seven years. And one of the things that we would do together, I guess, as love language was um, one day I came home from dancing and Josh had bought all of these books on massage. And I was like, what are all these things? He was like, well, I thought that maybe we could read these books with one another and we could learn how to massage one another. So I basically read these massage books, like five or six massage books with Josh, and we would practice on one another and we would alternate giving each other massages that would result in some kind of romantic uh, foreplay and uh, I guess, I don't really know how to say this on Spotify or an anchor, but we would, we would basically satisfy one another and that would be it. Now, I danced all the way until I was 36 years old. My last performance when it was when I was 36 years old and getting ready to literally walk into rehab for being an alcoholic my entire life. We will talk about alcohol and alcoholism in my dance career at another point in time. But when I was with Josh, um, I went to this chiropractor's office, and the chiropractor well, he eventually got in trouble. I don't know if he went to jail or not, but he was billing massage therapy as physical therapy. So with my insurance that I had from Josh's work, I could go to my chiropractor and for a copay of $20, I could get an hour-long massage. And I did that for years, years and years throughout my early 20s and through my mid-20s until me and Josh broke up. I would go get a massage from this therapist every single week or every other week. And I was just, I needed body work. So then after me and Josh broke up, what had happened was I had to move back in with my parents. I had to move back in with my family, and it was a real bummer. Man, was that a big fucking bummer, having to move home, moving back in with those J-dubs, oh, and we'll talk about all of that at another time too. I have to stay on track because I get sidetracked really, really easy onto different tangents, so I'm trying to stay on track here. If you guys are still following me, I did foot rubs and hand rubs when I was a little boy. When I was a dancer, me and other kids massaged one another. I massaged my partner. We did massage on one another, and I also got massage at my chiropractor's office. So until I was about the age of 26... I'm going to say 26. Yeah, I'm going to say that it was 26. I was 26 when me and Josh broke up. I moved back in with my parents. And after about three months of being with these motherfuckers, I was really like getting really cranky and my body really, really, really hurt. And I was like, I really need to get a massage. So I wanted to get massaged by a man because that's who I felt comfortable with. I didn't want to go to a female massage therapist. My feelings about that changed much later on. But I got online and I typed in, what did I type in? I typed in gay massage because I was looking for another man. Uh, not in a sexual way, but I was looking for a gay man who was going to give a, a body massage. And what came up was just a ton of websites that were advertising, I guess you could say, uh, sex work and also like erotic massage, especially Craigslist. 
You guys remember Craigslist? Well, it's still around, but they had an erotic services section for a very, very, very long time where all of the sex workers advertised very openly about their services on Craigslist. I mean, it was very explicit. I mean, I posted pictures of myself nude and erect and everything on Craigslist, and it was completely acceptable. And that kind of shit went on until that woman got uh, murdered. There was a, a woman who got murdered uh, by the Craigslist killer. He was going around killing women, women who were advertising on the erotic section. They finally caught him because he ran into a woman who had a pimp that was like in the next room that he didn't know was there. That was a really, really long story, and Craigslist got into a lot of trouble for it, and they eventually took down uh, the whole erotic services side, and they switched it. They flipped it, so they created like a therapeutic services side, and that's when all of the hand job massage parlors got on uh, Craigslist, and they still advertise, you know, the Asian hand job parlors, and then all of the other, and then the guys, and then all of the gay guys out there, or bisexual guys, or gay for pay guys that were doing body rubs. So I decided, um, oh, let me go back. I have to go backwards. Back, 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 back. So I decided that I wanted to get this massage. And I found a man who, the, he was literally the only guy in Virginia Beach, Virginia, who was offering male-for-male massage on one of these websites. So I said, okay, well, let's go check this thing out. So I called him. I scheduled an appointment. He asked me if I was over the age of 18. I said, yes. He said, please bring your ID when you show up and bring cash. And we scheduled the appointment for like the next day. So, you know, here's me. I'm so naive. I, I, I was such a naive child because of the way I was raised. And then I was a really stupid-ass naive teenager. And I was pretty naive through my early 20s. Like, I really didn't know better. I can really say that I didn't know better about the world because I was really, really sheltered. I was really sheltered growing up and put in a bubble. So I didn't really understand a lot. And I showed up at this guy's house, and he opened the door. And when he opened the door, he was standing there in a jockstrap and a pair of sneakers. And I looked at him, and I looked at the sneakers, and I looked at the jockstrap, and I looked at him, and I was like, I'm here for the massage. And he said, come on in. So I walked in. He closed the door behind me and said, well, you know, we got to go upstairs. That's where we're going to do the massage. So I followed him up the stairs with his ass hanging out in my face. We walked into one of his spare bedrooms. I think he had a two-bedroom condo or apartment. And one of, the, one of the bedrooms, which was like a guest bedroom, that's where he did massages, and he would throw guys on the bed, and he would do body rubs and um, get them off and then slap them on the ass and send them out and make a $120 appointment because that's what he charged. He charged $120. And because I look so young, he didn't believe that I was over the age of 18. So I had to show him my ID, and I said, yo, I'm like 27 years old. I'm a grown-ass man. He was like, you don't look like it. And I was like, well, I am. So he conceded, and he gave me a massage. And it was like the worst massage ever. <laughs> it was the worst massage ever. 
um, he put me on this bed that was like a water bed, and I was like floating on this mattress. And he and he got naked. He took off his jock strap, and I was nude. He said, "Take off your clothes and lay down on the bed." So I did. I mean, this guy could have like completely like take took advantage of me, raped me, killed me, anything. Like I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know if I had walked into an environment with a serial killer, because I was just that dumb. But he got on top of me nude, and he did this whole thing where he rolled around in the sheets with me. He uh, rubbed up against me, uh, flipped me over, rubbed up against me on the front side, and kind of like a little loomy, loomy, kind of like, I guess you could say, just a lot of physical contact, no massage, and a really, really bad body rub. And then at the very end, you know, he uh, swung my legs around his and started uh, stroking my cock and got me off. And then that was it. Boom, that was it. Like it was a 45-minute massage. I paid $120 for an hour-long massage, and what did I get? I got a 45-minute-long massage with a hand job, And I wasn't mad. I wasn't mad about it at all. I was like, I don't know what I just did. I don't know if I just paid for sex. I think this person is a prostitute. And so I, I got dressed and I left. And I, I went downstairs and I got into my car. And when I got into the car, I said, I could do exactly what this guy did and I could do it better and I could charge more money because I'm younger and I've got a really nice ass. So I literally went home, got on Craigslist because they didn't charge for Craigslist ads back then. You could post for free. And I posted an ad of myself, not nude, um, advertising male for male body work. And at the time, like I said, I was living with my parents. I had no source of income. This, everything was really horrible. Back then for me, when I left Josh, I left with just my clothes in a suitcase. And do you know, I went to sleep, and the next morning when I woke up, I must have had like 20, 30, 50 contacts, like emails, text messages. People called, left messages to get a massage. And suddenly I had an entire clientele base of men that were massage whores, and that's what we call them, or that's what they call themselves, massage whores. They're the guys that like to go get their body rubs by other guys and get their nut, and that's what they do. They like that. That's that's their fun. That's 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 their thing. That's that's their jam. Um, and I had to do my first appointments on an outcall basis because. I couldn't do them at my parents' home. Hold on. I got to have a sip of coffee. You guys have to realize I'm over here doing this podcast for the first time by myself. And I hope the um, topic matter is interesting enough and fun enough for you that you're sticking around to listen to all this. But one thing I did have is I had a Reiki table or I had a massage table that I had bought for 200 bucks. It was like a $200 table. Um, that I had picked up. Really, really nice table. It didn't have a face cradle. But I had a table that I had gotten for Reiki because I had gotten into Reiki. And I was very interested in Tantra. I was very interested in sex magic. I was very interested in the erotic side of spirituality. 
that I never got to experience with my partner Josh because he was an asshole and he always put me down for my spiritual beliefs and he was just very un, a very unkind person. It wasn't very supportive of me at all when it came to just about anything I did, especially anything spiritual. So I took my massage table out, threw it in the trunk, and did these out-call appointments, right, for these massage appointments. And I remember how nervous I was going into my very first appointment. I went to the downtown Marriott in Norfolk, Virginia. I had to drive from Virginia Beach to Norfolk for the downtown Marriott, and that's where I turned my first trick. I showed up at the hotel. The guy was visiting from out of town. I knocked on the door. I went inside, set up the table. We got, he got on the table. I started massaging him, and that went on for about, I guess you could say, 45, 50 minutes. And I, was, I really, really was doing a really good job because I'm actually a really good body worker. I'm extremely intuitive. I'm, an, I'm a super empath. I'm very intuitive with my hands. And uh, I had been touching and rubbing and massaging and doing reflexology and, and, and Reiki on so many people for so long, it was just natural for me to do it whether I had my clothes on or not. And of course, at the end, he got his nut. And then he, he tipped me like 30 bucks for showing up. So when I left, I had like 150 bucks in my hands in cash. I went downstairs. I threw my massage table back into my car. I went back into the Marriott, sat down at the bar and like had a drink because I was like, I need a fucking drink after doing all of this. And I realized that I had done my first act of sex work. And it was exhilarating to me. It was amazing that I could just show up with my table, meet some guy, and most all of them fantastic, most all of them very, very nice. I have to say that I was very fortunate and am very fortunate that I really didn't run into a lot of problems with men, like jerks, uh, doing this whole thing. Oh, excuse me. I just had to yawn. I've only been up for the past 24 hours. I haven't gone to sleep yet. And because of how crazy my life has been over the past, I don't know, year, my eyes are just wide open. So I figured I would do this podcast today. But I, I took the money and I went home. And do you know within a month, I had enough money to get my own apartment? Literally, I was at my parents' house a month. I was going in and out doing out calls, and I had enough money to get my own apartment. And now we're talking, this was back in, what, 2006? 2006, 2007. And uh, I got this cute little apartment in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And then I moved my business to in calls, and that is when things started really, really happening, really, really moving. I got to think about it and make sure I'm getting my time frame right in my head. But when I got into my own place, that's when I really started rolling uh, as a male-for-male -male erotic massage therapist. And then I just continued to do it. And I did it. And I did it all the way until COVID hit. So that was a really, really long time being... Uh, that's a long time to be in the sex industry. You know, most people that do and did what I did 
they can't last after one or two or three appointments. Maybe they've got enough, uh, I guess you could say, internal power to be able to get through maybe a couple of months, maybe even a year, maybe even a couple of years. But it takes, let me tell you, it takes a very special kind of person to be a sex worker where you're interacting with and dealing with people in an erotic way all the time, where you're working naked all the time, where you're coming in and out of contact with bodily fluids all the time. And you have to be really careful, and you have to be really safe, and you have to be really clean, and you got to keep your place really, really clean, and you're always on the alert whenever somebody shows up. You know, you never know who's going to show up. The next person that shows up could be the person that kills you. So I had a very stressful, from the ages of 26 to 26, 27 to 30, damn. I think I might have been a sex worker for like um, almost 2006, 2016, 17, 18, 19, whenever COVID hit. That is the amount of time that I was in this industry. And, I, and I, there were times that I really hated it and there were times that I really loved it. The times that I hated it, I was going through some really bad emotional health and mental and behavioral health problems. The times that I loved it, I was living on my own and taking clients at my leisure, and I really enjoyed it. What I wanted to do is, now that I set you up and told you a little bit about how I got into the industry, I want to tell you what I learned about men being in that industry. I want to tell you why I think it's important that people do this kind of work. And maybe you'll have a different perspective about men who do sex work with other men or work with other men in an erotic way uh, because I've got a lot to say about it. And I've also got some really awesome stories to tell you about some of the most interesting experiences I encountered when doing this work. But first, we're going to take a little break. So what was it like for me? What was it like being a male-for-male sex worker, an erotic massage therapist? You know, I pissed off a lot of people. I made a lot of people angry. A lot, a lot, a lot of people angry. I lost all of my friends, I pretty much lost anybody and everybody that spoke to me when I decided that I wanted to go down the path of sex work. Now, I got to set you up for this. You got to understand how this worked out. You guys know I was a professional dancer for most all of my life, and I was pretty famous. I was a nationally and internationally known male dancer. And in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and Hampton Roads, and in, in Virginia in general, even Northern Virginia, I was very well known for my abilities and my talents, and I was on the cover of the Virginia Pilot. So everybody knew who I was when I was a dancer. And what happened is when I came out of the closet as queer, and I got up with Josh 
and we defected, or I guess you could say they kicked us out of the Jehovah's Witness organization out of the church. They disfellowshipped us, excommunicated us. Then I actually, for the first time in my life, walked into the gay community, the LGBTQ community. That's not a community either, but I'll make another podcast about that uh, some other point in time. But I left the Jehovah's Witnesses and I walked into gay world and the gay bar world. And over the next couple of years, I became a drag queen. And the whole drag queen story is another podcast. But after leaving Josh and getting an erotic massage and deciding that I was going to do this and I was going to do it well because I needed money, and I started doing it, I literally lost everybody. Matter of fact, my drag mother, I was living at her house for a while because I lost my apartment. And I remember in the middle of the night, Angel showing up um, and basically busting in the door to come into my room to drag me downstairs and sit me on a chair while she and two other drag queens that lived in the house berated me, basically spit on me, told me that I was a whore, told me I was trash. That was when I started doing adult entertainment too. And I was completely attacked for wanting to express myself and my sexual my sexuality. And I was I was sharing I, how I felt about it. I felt like I was doing the world a favor by sharing myself with everyone. Becoming Adam Likes Apples and going down the path of uh, inter adult entertainment for a while, that's another podcast also. So many things that I can talk about on this podcast by myself. But I was just treated horribly. I was treated terribly when I decided I wanted to be a sex worker. Um, nobody understood it. Nobody understood why I wanted to do that. So I guess you could say I had a falling from grace in the eyes of everyone around me. You know, suddenly I was a piece of gutter trash. I was this professional dancer that was admired, uh, had put on shows, put on my own shows at the Virginia Beach Pavilion. I put on my own show. I was, I was doing all kinds of things in dance, and then I was like, well, I don't want to dance anymore. And so I want to do adult entertainment now. I want to be a porn star. I want to be a sex worker, and I was teaching kids, and I basically told all the parents, I'm not going to teach your kids anymore because I'm getting ready to go into an adult entertainment field, and I can't teach kids and be involved in all of that shit. I just can't do it. And the parents understood, and I think the kids did too because they kind of had an idea about what I was going to do. And everybody, we just parted ways. And then I went and did my sex thing. And... I was I just lost everybody and suddenly I was all alone. Suddenly I was this 26-year-old guy, 26, 27-year-old guy who was living by himself and the only interactions I really had were with the men that were coming over to get massaged by me. So they kind of became friends and not every single one of them. I mean, there were guys that showed up, got on the table, got popped off and left in five minutes. They still paid me. I'm like, whether you're here five minutes to play around or whether you're here for an entire hour for the massage, I'm still getting paid my 150 bucks. I had to drop my rates um, <laughs> during the Obama administration. 
but that's another story. I, uh, I became friends with a lot of these guys. I had regulars. I had guys that would come to me on a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis. I had guys I'd see once a month. I'd see guys every couple of months or every six months. But I knew that I was always going to have a guy coming around to get a massage, and I would have some cash in my pocket. And I met so many men. So if I took a client a day, sometimes two clients a day, let's say I averaged on a week and seven days, I averaged about, let's say, nine or ten clients. Let's say I took ten clients a week starting in 2016, and I quit sometime in like 2019 or 20, whenever COVID hit. That's a lot of guys. That is a lot of men to be erotic with and be intimate with and to mutually masturbate with and enjoy pleasure with. It's a lot of men. And people might not understand that, but I really felt like it was my job and I really felt like it was my duty and I felt like I was doing something good for the world. And I think, I think prostitution and I think sex work is important. I am pro-sex work. I think that nobody can tell me what I can and cannot do with my body. And no one can also tell me how I can and cannot make money if I'm not harming anyone. And anything that's going down financially or sexually or anything else between two consenting adults, I don't think it's anybody's business. And we need prostitutes. We need people who are sex workers, we need strippers for entertainment, we need uh, body workers, whether they're male or female, that are going to be erotic or sensual, because men need that. Men, men, men need touch. They need to be touched. Men need to be touched. Now, touch and sex and intimacy and romance are, are completely different things to men. Men can completely compartmentalize sex whereas women have a complete inability to compartmentalize sex from everything else. If you're a woman, and I know that most of the people that follow me are women, if you're a woman that can separate your romantic feelings from just getting off and sleeping around or enjoying sex, good for you. Good for you. That's What a great way to live that you don't have to get all of that sex and romance intertwined all the time. But men are very good about sex and uh, casual interactions not messing with their, their feelings, their emotions. Matter of fact, a, most of the men that came to me identified as heterosexual or straight or bisexual or bi-curious, had wives, had girlfriends, had children, grandchildren, and I worked on men between the ages of 20 years old all the way up to 80, 80 years old. 82 years old, actually, I think is the oldest male client that I had ever worked on. So I worked with a very broad range of men for a very, very long time. And I learned a lot about men. I learned that men need to be touched by other men. Uh spend a lot of time talking to men about their childhood. You know, I'd get them on the table and I would ask them questions, you know, like, is this the first time you've had a massage? 
you know, have you ever done anything erotic with another man? Because you know this is kind of like a tantra thing. This is like an intimacy massage. And they'd, they'd either be like yes or no. And I got to ask them a lot of questions about their interactions with other men, starting with their fathers, like what kind of relationship they had with their fathers. There were some men that I talked to who, like myself, had nothing to do with their father. Their father was completely absent. And there was a, a need for some kind of feeling of affection or bonding with another man that they would not talk to their friends about. They absolutely had zero desire to be in the gay community. And bisexual men have absolutely no desire to be associated with the gay community, gay community at all because gay men are gay men, and everyone who is not a gay, men, gay man does not fit into that club. So you, you don't see bisexual men down at Pride in the summertime. Maybe you see a couple, you know, but most all of the men that can, are, are heteroflexible or bisexual, you'll never see them at any gay Pride events ever because they don't want to have anything to do with it. And I understand why. Because gay men are so judgy about men who have a preference for both sexes or have a primary preference for women, but also enjoy hooking up with men. So gay men have an inability, just like women do, because I think that there's a very female emotional network going on in their head. They don't have the ability to separate sex and, uh, and pleasure from wanting to get romantically involved. That's just my opinion. That's not me being homophobic. That's just my observation from being a man, being 42 years old, and working in the sex work industry. Most of the guys that came to me that identified as gay through all of this, they were people who are older, people who are lonely. Um, they had no desire to go out to gay bars anymore. They, they, they couldn't really find anybody on the computer, on these websites. And they needed male-for-male -male touch. And so they'd come, they'd get a massage, and... I would spend time with them, and that's really what they paid me for. They paid me for my time. You know, I never felt forced to do anything in a sexual way. Well, that's not true. There, I mean, my job was to be erotic. My job was to be arousing. My job was to be sexual. My job was to get men to climax. That was the purpose of the massage. The purpose of the massage was to enjoy the body work, and to have a release, be relieved from all of that pent-up sexual tension, aggress aggression, whatever it was, that only in another way, only in a way another man can provide. Because men interacting in, a, in an erotic way or a sexual way or letting go and getting loose and um, allowing themselves to be themselves in front of another man is very, very different than men having sex with women. It's very different. Male-male energy in an erotic way is very different from being with females. Now, I want to say, after I, I left Josh, I primarily have only dated females ever since. I have, I have some buddies that um, I played around with throughout the years, that I kept contact with or didn't or lost contact with that were also, you know, pretty perverted like me and liked perversion. Um, and so I would get up with them and we would have fun. But for the most part, I, I dated women and have dated women 
and my relationships have been with females because I like being in relationships with females and I also enjoy sexually being with females. But I continued to do the sex work with men for a long time with zero conflict inside in my mind about my sexual orientation and who I was. I've always told people I'm queer or I've said I've bi- I'm bisexual or heteroflexible. The older I get, the more hetero-ish I am, but I never lo- lose that desire to enjoy men in an erotic way also. It's just part of who I am. So I having identifying men, trying to force men to identify in some kind of sexual orientation is just not good because there's just so many different types of men. Well, every single man is different. There's as many sexual orientations in the world as there are men when it comes to men because sexuality is a spectrum. It's a range. There are people who are 100% straight and there are people who are 100% gay. There are men who sit right in the middle and are bisexual and absolutely fine with that. There's all the men that are conflicted inside about their feelings about other men and how to express their intimacy. And some men are just addicted to sex and they can't have intimacy. And so they need that, that erotic situation where there's... When money is on the table, you do not have to feel any kind of way responsible for the interaction. I think there's a rash, there's a rationalizing that happens in a man's mind. I show up, I get this massage, I pay this guy, and when it's over, it's over. I get to leave. I get to go back to my life. I go home to my wife. I go home to my girlfriend, and I got my nut, and I satisfied that feeling of feeling erotic with another man, and then it's over. I did my thing. We had fun. It's over. See you again next month. And that's how a lot of men are. And a lot of men will go get male-for-male massage because they have wives and girlfriends. And get this, ladies, it's not cheating on their wives and their girlfriends if they fuck around with another man. That is a very big thing in the mind. So if, let's say, you and your husband or you and your boyfriend aren't always having sex or things aren't always good, If he needs to get something, he might go see another man in order to get what he needs because men need sex. Men need sex. That's something that women absolutely miss. Um, You know, being in a relationship with someone means that you're going to have sex with them. (laughs) I can't believe I have to have this conversation with you. Being in a relationship with someone means that the sex has to be good. And if the sex is not good or there's problems in the sex life, then then you need to go somewhere else. It means that you're not getting what you need. He's not getting what you need. and, And relationships and marriages are based on romantic feelings, of course, but it's also based on having good fucking. And if you guys aren't fucking one another and getting off in the way that you want to get off, then you guys are going to like split, separate. Are you going to be miserable? Are you going to sit around in a sex, a sexless marriage or a sexless relationship? And that's not good for you. It's not healthy. But men get stuck in these situations all the time. And a great way to get that 
energy out is just by frolicking with another man. So there is much more homosexual activity going on between men in the world than, any, than anybody would ever know. Gay men don't even know because gay men are so wrapped up in being gay and being with gay men or chasing after some straight men or bisexual man. They have absolutely no idea what it's like to live as a heterosexual man uh, having sexual interactions with other heterosexual men. And it happens. It happens all the time. And I'm going to dare say from my time in the sex work industry inter interviewing one man on my table after another about their interactions with men, I always would ask them, every single one, say so, and I'd wait till it was over. I'd say, so is that the first time you ever, you know, messed around with a guy or have you messed around with a guy before? And what's interesting is most guys will say, now, I've always been curious about it, or, yeah, I messed around before. Like, I think that every single man at some point in time in his life is going to be curious about what it's like to be erotic with another man. It could be when you're a little boy. Because little boys also feel feelings and want to experiment in that kind of way. So oh, it might be when you're a little boy, you experiment with the boy next door or maybe when you're a, a teenager and you have a best friend and you guys jerk off together or maybe you do that with somebody in college or you have some other kind of experience but I think that at some point in time there are men ha that have come to me over the age of 40 over the age of 50 over age over the age of 60 that at that point in time in their life very later on in life did they kind of have a desire to experience that I'm going to tell you a beautiful story that I have. So I was doing my sex working thing, and I had gotten an email from someone who said, I'm interested in getting an erotic massage. I've got a very interesting situation. I'm, I'm thinking about doing something with a friend of mine, and I want to talk to you about it. And so I said, schedule an appointment. Come see me. We'll talk. Well, this man showed up, and he was in his... He was in his 70s. He was, he was like maybe between the ages of 68 and 72. And he came in and he sat down and he said, well, I'd like to talk to you about this before we do this. And I'm like, okay, go ahead. He said, me and my best friend and our wives, you know, we have, we, we, we go down to Florida every single winter you know, we're snowbirds. They call them that in New England. You know, they live in New England when it's nice, and then when it starts getting cold here, they go down to Florida, and they live in their Florida homes. And then when, after all the snow melts in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Maine and Vermont, then they come back up. And he said, me and my best friend, last year in Florida, we were sitting in a bar and we were drinking. And two men came in that were gay, and they sat down at the other table, and they were holding hands, and they were talking. And I ask my, my male friend, both of them identifying as heterosexual, I ask my male friend, have, have you ever been interested in being sexual with another man? And his friend said, yeah, I guess I have. At, yeah, at some point in time in my life, I, I was curious about it. And he was like, well, have you ever done anything? And his friend was like, no. 
and they decided over drinks that they were going to have an erotic experience with one another the following summer. They were like, we'll think about it, and if we feel like it next summer, let's fuck around and see what happens. So this guy came to me in a panic. He was like, I'm a month out from going down to Florida, and my friend and I had decided that we're going to try to do something gay with one another, and I don't know what to do. I said, I'm going to tell you what to do. And so literally, I taught him by showing him massage techniques, erotic massage techniques on him. I did them to him, and then he did them to me, and we kind of did like a little exchange, and I taught him how to get, get me off or how to get a man off <laughs> because getting yourself off and getting another man off is not the same. I know you would think, well, you got two dicks. They're the same thing. It's not that simple. It's really not that simple. So anyway, after it was over, he said, okay, I, 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 that's the first time I've ever done anything with another man, and I don't want to tell him that I did this. And I'm like, no, you know, I just coached you. That's all. I said, so let me know how it goes. Oh, my God. So he said, I feel more prepared, and he left. And do you know that about six months later, I got an email from this guy, and this guy said, hey, Philip, I just wanted to tell you about this experience that I had with my friend. I don't know if you remember me or not. But we decided one night that we were actually going to go out, and we're going to find a hotel, and we got a hotel, and we did our erotic experience with one another, just like you taught me to, and it was very nice. And it was something special that I shared with my friend, and that was something we decided afterwards, you know, that was, that was kind of like it. We weren't going to do anything with one another. We were not going to be lovers. Like, it wasn't going to be that. It was just an experiment to see what it would be like to do that with a friend. And um, he said it was a great experience. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for helping me. And I have hundreds of stories like that where I've helped men to be okay with who they are. I've helped men to understand that it is okay to want to be sexual or erotic with another man, and it doesn't mean that you have to identify as gay. You don't. Because sexual behavior and sexual orientation are two different things. Just like sexual behavior, sexual identity, or what your sexual preferences are, and your gender identity are all separate. All of these things are separate. And so we can't smush them all together. And it's always, I always get really, really pissed off when, when people try to say, if you're a man and you've ever been curious about being erotic or sensual with another man, or you've ever been with another man in some kind of way, any kind of way, that it makes you gay. Well, that's just not the truth. That's just not how the world works. And, that's that, and it was never the way the world worked prior to Christianity and the colonization process and um, this Judeo-Christian and indeed Islamic-Muslim worldview that came into the world that basically squashed male-for-male -male behavior. The Greeks, the Romans... Uh, very great empires around the world were not were very accepting of men having erotic relationships with one another. It was actually quite natural for men to have a companion um, that 
uh, was almost like, I don't know, he was kind of like the boyfriend. That's just kind of like what he was. And it was okay. It was okay for men to have wives, have children, and have progeny, and also at the same time enjoy the company of other men. And that culture got lost during this whole Christian shit that's happened over the past 2,000 years. It got lost culturally, but it never stopped. The practice never stopped. Do you know what I'm saying? We even have records that the ancient Celtic world that admired the Greeks so much that homosexuality was something that happened, uh, or ho men involved in, with other men in an erotic or sexual way is something that happened all over Western Europe until Christianity came and stopped it. But the behaviors of people haven't changed. doesn't matter what religion you force them to practice or what you tell them they can and cannot do. These behaviors have always been. They just went underground. These are just not relationships that you see. So I would say that most women, most all women, would be really damn disappointed to find out that I would say probably... I'm going to say 50 to 60%. That's my guesstimation. I would say 50 to 60%. I would have to say 60%, maybe even higher. 60% of men out there have had some kind of um, uh, erotic encounter with another man. And that could have been flirting with one another, or it could have been jerking off with one another, or it could have been a blowjob, or it could have been more, at least once in their life. I would have to say that it has to be at least close to 60% of men have had some kind of erotic encounter with other men. And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think that's pretty much natural. I think that's just something that happened. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. When I die... You know, the people that come and fetch me. The, you know what? When I die, the people that I want to meet the, in the afterlife, I want to meet the people that have kept records, have kept track of these things. I'm, I'm interested in the record keepers. I'm interested in the people that kept track of behavior, human behavior. Because you know God put um, spirits or people um, in charge of keeping track of human behavior. I'd really like to know. The statistics. Excuse me. Oh, I'm going to yawn in your ear one more time. But I think that we should not condemn and judge people who decide that they want to work in the erotic industry if that's what they want to do. It's, if, it's, if it's something that's not forced, if it's not part of a human trafficking or something like that. If somebody really enjoys being erotic and being sexual and wants to share themselves with other people, I don't think there's anything wrong with making a living off of that or charging people for that. You charge people for your time. And, and then also, people need that. People need to be able to be erotic and have an erotic out, outlet with someone who is, uh, you know, just... Has, can give them some objective advice because one of the great things about being me 
is being an erotic massage therapist or being a massage therapist or a hairdresser or someone that does nails or any other helping profession or service industry. There are some service industry professions that people will spill their guts. I tell you what, these men, they walk in off the street. I don't care how hard they look uh, wearing their boots and their um, construction worker outfits or coming in as lawyers, doctors. I worked on a lot of Catholic priests. I've worked on police chiefs, firemen, higher-ups in government. Yeah, it doesn't matter, and I don't remember. I don't remember who they are now. You know, they were people at the time. They were important at the time. They're not. They're not relevant anymore. But I've worked on a lot of people um, from the higher echelons, people who have got more money than God, and just regular Joe schmoes that are just blue-collar workers on the street. I've worked with a great variety of men from different demographics and a variety of ethnicities, mainly white men, but the second largest population would be men from India, Indian men, and then black men. Um, Interestingly enough, very, very, very few Asian men but primarily white, Indian, black, and then a very small percentage of Asian men, uh, Filipino men that I had saw over the period of time that I did all of this. And now I'm just rambling. But I, I need people that are listening to me to have like just uh, like more of an open mind, be more open-minded about people that are in these industries. Because there are some people that really love being in this industry. Matter of fact, if I was set up right, I would go back into it. But I think that my sex working days are over. Like I said, my career pretty much ended at the beginning of COVID, and I've never been able to recover from the whole COVID situation. I lost a lot of clients, which makes me really, really sad because I loved my guys. But... That's the truth, everybody. That's how it works. That's how the world works. Now, I've got a couple of more stories that I want to tell you, some fun stories about being a sex worker, and then we'll finish the podcast. So just hang tight. I want to tell you just one story. You know, I I, I worked with so many men. <laughs> I have so many stories, so many stories, so many fun stories about meeting really cool, interesting men, other men that were just fascinating, and especially their sexual behavior was pretty fascinating. It's amazing how many men will just cut loose and completely rip loose with another guy, and they won't do that with anybody else. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's a particular way that men behave with other men in an erotic sexual situation that they absolutely will never show women ever. They just, they won't. That's a side of themselves they just will not share with a woman. It's a part of them that it's either, it's for them and it's for someone else, not their wives, not their girlfriends. And women don't understand that. But, you know, I'm not trying to help women understand anything because I don't care. <laughs> I don't really don't care what women, what women think at all. Um, I'm not sexist or anything. It's just I'm not a woman. I'll never be a woman. I don't care what women think. Their opinions don't matter to me. 
but here's a really great story that I have for you about a guy that came to get a massage from me. Well, I was back in Virginia Beach and I was in my apartment. My little apartment, my little tantric temple is what I called it, my little tantric temple. And what had happened was, it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I was finishing up my day. I already had a client and I got a text message from a guy and he was like, Hey, Philip, are you still available today? Because I can come over in an hour if you're available. So I said, sure, yeah, I'm available, so, you know, come on over. So I waited about an hour, you know, I cleaned up everything, took a shower, got myself prepared, I was ready to go. And then here comes the doorbell, ding dong, <laughs> ding dong is right. I walked over and I opened up the door, and when I opened up the door, the most incredibly beautiful man I have ever seen in my entire fucking life was standing in front of me. Tall, dark, handsome, muscular, manly. Reminded me of Joe, Joe Man Maginello. Is that his name? The actor? Tall, dark, and handsome. Muscular and just, he looks like he was straight as a grizzly's dick. And I said, can I help you? And he was like, I'm here for a massage. And I said, oh, okay, well, come in. And when he walked in, he was wearing a Virginia Beach fireman's uh, T-shirt like he had just got off work. Um, he said, I just got off work. I just took a shower at the gym. But I said, well, you're, you, you're in the fire department. He was like, yeah, I'm a fireman. And I was like, that's really, that's really fucking hot. That's great. And he was like, so... I want to do this massage, but I have a question and a favor to ask. And I was like, okay, great. Here we go. You know, and when, because whenever a guy would be like, I have a question for you, I'm like, don't ask me any questions. I don't want you to ask me any questions. You get naked and we'll start going and we'll see what happens. Um, or they, or they have these requests and I'm like, no, you, you know, you're, you're not, I'm not going to sit on your face. We're not going to have that kind of session. But this guy said, well, I kind of have a fetish and I didn't know whether or not you would allow me to wear a pair of pantyhose during the massage. And I said, you want me to massage you and you want to wear pantyhose? And he said, yes. And I said, that is absolutely fine, buddy. If you want to wear pantyhose while I massage you down, if that's what makes you happy, I want you to be happy. Go ahead and get ready. So he goes in the other room. He starts taking off his clothes. And I walk into the bathroom to wash my hands and pee and whatever. And I'm like, God, you know, I was kind of flustered because, because this guy was really that beautiful. That, this guy was really like a perfect specimen of a man, a perfect specimen of a man. And when I walked back out and I walked into the room, he was laying on my table face up and he was wearing a pair of black crotchless, crotchless now, fishnet pantyhose and a pair of like little gold cha-cha heels. Well, not little because his foot was like, I don't know, like a 13 or something, but he had on a pair of high heels. That's what he had on. 
And I looked at him, and I looked at that big old beautiful cock. And I, but he was perfect. He had a perfect body. Hairless, just bleh. And then he had on these heels. And I said to him, so you're straight, right? And he was like, yeah. And he was like, I think so. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. And I said, it doesn't matter. I want you to know it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is because it doesn't. Because nobody, I don't believe people like us have sexual orientations. I think we're just open. I said, you have a girlfriend, right? And he was like, yeah. I said, does she know that you're into all of this stuff? And he was, he looked at me in the most sheepish way. And he said, well, she knows about the pantyhose, but she doesn't know about the heels. And I just about like, I, I didn't laugh. I did not laugh. I just thought it was absolutely precious that this man has this strong desire to wear pantyhose and crotchless pantyhose and, and play and be erotic in them and even wear heels and play and be erotic in those. But he feels that he can't do that. He can't share that with his girlfriend because he's probably with one of those women. Because men like that, really, really, men like that, they usually have pieces on their arms. You know, they're walking around with this woman who has fake tits and is bleach blonde and, you know, tan and a gym bunny and someone who's, you know, really hyper feminine, you know, that they're with, that they screw around with and they stay with, but they never get to express themselves completely um, be out of fear because I'm pretty sure that fear has a... Fear, men being afraid of expressing their true self, their true erotic self, is really why men are the way they are. If we just allowed men to be men uh, and be okay with just being men and be okay with being feminine because homophobia is really this is is based in misogyny that's what homophobia is homophobia isn't about men hating other men because they suck dick it's about other men being feminine it's about men being feminine that is misogyny so homophobia is rooted in misogyny and so that hatred of all things feminine or that the putting down of of men being feminine is very very damaging to men and it's been very damaging to men for a very very long time and it should be perfectly okay for men to wear whatever they want if a man wants to put on a kilt or a skirt if he feels comfortable with that or he wants to wear nail polish maybe he wants to wear eyeliner um Maybe he just wants to be be more effeminate, like just kind of relax. And there are so many men walking around holding themselves. Do you know how exhausting it is being concerned that every word that comes out of your mouth, that every way you act and move and behave in front of other men or people on the street, that they're going to perceive you in some kind of way that's going to be less than a real man or a heterosexual man? That's a lot of work to maintain that front for a lot of men. You know, it's so funny because Jennifer, 
has these two dogs, these two big black dogs, um, Fats and Bob. And while I was down in South Carolina visiting her, Fats and Bob got into a fight. Now, um, Fats was the alpha, and Bob kind of like was the puppy. And that was kind of like the relationship they had, but they got into a fight. And they got into a fight over me because I was playing with them, and they were playing with me, and I thought we were playing and having a good time. And then I realized that they were getting ready to go into it, they got into a real knockdown, drag-out fight. You could hardly separate them until, until they finally separated from one another. But they went, they went at it like they were going to kill each other. And what happened was is that Bob kind of took over as the alpha in the house. And Fats kind of like lost his status as being the alpha. But the most amazing thing happened to Fats afterwards because Bob took on that role of being the dominant male and Fats actually started allowing his husky side out more and started becoming more vocal, more vocal, more needy, um, more passive, wanting more affection, wanting more love. So I'd lay down on the bed and I'd let him get on the bed with me and he'd lay right beside me and back his ass up on me and I'd spoon, spoon him and uh, show him some love. And... It was just amazing the change in his personality after he didn't have to be an alpha anymore. And we're talking about a dog here. We're talking about a dog. Lost his ranking as the alpha, but literally reveled in the fact that he didn't have to be that anymore. He didn't have to hold that front anymore. Now it was Bob's turn, and now he could be something else. And it's amazing that I saw that behavior shift in animals when I see the shift of male behavior when they come into my my home or they come to my apartment to get body work done and they let themselves go and they allow themselves to relax and they allow me they allow me to see them for who they are who they really are not the front that they put up at their job not the front they put up for their kids and not the front they put up for women and not the front they put up for their wives and their girlfriends and their daughters, and their sisters, and all the women in their life. But they get to come in and they get to relax and get on my table and just be men and enjoy their time. And I really feel like it was God's way of initiating me into the male mysteries. I am an initiate in the male mysteries from my experience over time over all these years working with men in an erotic way. And it's so funny because, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not sexist um, because I believe in equality. I believe in 100% equality between men and women. doesn't mean I have to like the way women behave because there's a lot of things about women I don't like. Um, I, unfortunately, um, I've had a lot of bad experiences with, with women throughout my entire life. So my opinion of women has been kind of low uh, just based on their behavior and what I've experienced with most all of the women I've ever experienced. Um, so I, I really, I'm much more interested in being around men, talking to men, having male friends, um, interacting with men. And I have a very small handful of women that I consider to be friends and also clients that I care about uh, that 
you know, I, I give spiritual consultations to. But for the most part, my primary focus in life has been with men and working with other men. And I really feel privileged to be initiated into those male mysteries and to be able to understand things about other men and myself because I learned a lot about myself on that journey. A lot about myself and embracing and accepting myself for exactly what I am. I just am this. Whenever you see my pictures on on Twitter or whenever you see me on Pornhub, like jacking off or whether you see me dancing on YouTube or I'm talking about magic and witchcraft, no matter what it is, it's you're always seeing me because at some point in time in my mid-30s, I just accepted myself for all of the amazing things that I am, for all the amazing things that I am as a man in whatever variant I am. I don't consider myself an alpha male in the sense of your traditional stereotypical jock. I am an alpha in my own way, but it's much more subtle and maybe not typical. But I feel very, very blessed that I was able to experience these things and, and help a lot of men to just be themselves and be okay with who they are. So sometimes you just need another person of the same sex that understands you in a way that nobody else understands you because you don't allow anybody else to see that. It's very special. It's very intimate. And uh, I think it's a part of our culture that is just... Everything in our culture is so ass-backward when it comes to sex. You know, people are so afraid of, like adult sexual behavior and um, nudity. I'm just so amazed how obsessed people are with um, nudity in film and movies when we make the most disgusting, horrible, violent, bloody, gory, satanic, horrible... Uh, uh, there's so much violence in all of our television... There's so much violence in movies. There's so much rape and sexual assault in movies. And the motifs are just, you know, they're just so violent. And people want to see violence. And they, they think it's okay to feed this violence to their kids. And they'll let, they'll let like their 10, 12, 13-year-old kids sit around and watch Saw movies and stuff like that, you know, where people are getting hacked up and burned to death and ripped apart and all kinds of stuff. They think that's just great. But they're afraid of um, their kids seeing an erection, a man's erection, or a man naked. That's crazy to me. I don't understand what the difference is. I don't understand how our, our society can be so passive and blase blah about the violence and gun violence and everything in our society that is violent, that kills, that ruins lives. But people are afraid of sex and sexuality and intimacy and eroticism and same-sex behavior and nudity and anything like that. It's just amazing the difference between how we treat uh, sex and how we treat violence and how we prefer violence over sex every day. Well, anyway, that's everything I had to say. I wanted to make a little podcast today telling you guys about my life and things I went through being a male-for-male -male massage therapist. 
what I enjoyed, how I got into it, and um, what my experiences was, what I've learned. And maybe you learned something, or maybe you want to contact me and talk to me if you have any interest. If you have any questions about what you hear and you'd like to learn more, then you know I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm. I'm not advertising my, my massage services. What I'm saying is, if you want to learn more about uh, what I've learned, then sometimes I offer workshops in sexuality. And uh, I would even be willing to open that up to women or doing a class for women about men so that maybe if you love your husband or your boyfriend or your son or your brother, maybe there's something that you need to know about them. So anyway, I hope you witch bitches have a great rest of the day. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Or maybe you hated this podcast. Maybe I f- offended you in some kind of way. You can be mad about it. You can die mad about it for all I care. You know why? Because people's opinions of me and people's opinions of you don't matter. Just remember that, everybody. Other people's opinions about the way you choose to live your life does not matter. So peace, love, and chicken grease. Mm-hmm.